2: What a scream! What a screamer!
1: Bad day for agendas, but great day for Arsenal. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, the good black man, Twitter Yankee Gunner. Look, if you had strong opinions, and I am not someone who has them, so thankfully not an issue for me, but if you had strong opinions on certain players, uh, this may have been a challenging day for you. But a win for Arsenal is always good. And let's be clear, whatever your agenda, whatever your opinions, whatever your takes, Arsenal winning is good, and Arsenal players being good is good. And we got that on the day. And I want to say thank you for being here. I will let you know that uh, Dr. Rajpal Brar... Uh, will be on at the tail end of the podcast a phenomenal uh, explainer of injuries and recovery time and uh, the importance of rest and strain on bodies and he does YouTube videos that are great on this and we've got him on this podcast to talk about Smith Rose injury and what to expect from that. Uh, Players recovering from long-term injury, the importance of rotation, and when the minutes become a concern and things like that. So you don't want to miss that. That's coming up. All you have to do, you can fast-forward past Clive and Tim. Certainly understand, but if you make it through Clive and Tim, you'll be rewarded with an excellent, excellent conversation. So I hope you will stick around for that. And speaking of Clive, he is here. You can find him on Twitter at ClivePFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. And Tim, you can find him on Twitter at Hello, Tim. Hello there. Hey, um, just so you know where this conversation is going to go, the excitement of this game is such that off mic before we started recording, Clive and Tim were arguing with each other about who was less enthused by the game. Um, (laughs) I was enthused. I enjoyed it. I am still, uh, what's the expression, an Arsenal supporter through thick and thin. So uh, you can rely on me to give you the upbeat analysis, but we'll see what these other two uh, Debbie Downers can come up with. Uh, I will start with you, Clive, and I I think... The, the lineup is obviously a really interesting thing. Now, I am rarely glad to be waking up at 5.59 a.m. for a kickoff, but I am very glad on this day because the advantage of waking up at 5.59 for a 6 a.m. kickoff is that I was unable to tweet anything about the lineup. Now, had I been able to, I would have said it's a brilliant lineup that will certainly secure a victory. Uh, I did not get the chance to tweet that. All kidding aside, my initial reaction, Clive, was very simply, good, he's rotating. He needed to rotate, and he rotated, but I felt in that moment I wish he'd done this for City because that game was always a loss and this game is there for us. And I, I wasn't sure this game could be there for us with the lineup. So how did you feel, you know, without the benefit of hindsight, which I realize is hard to eliminate, but how did you feel about his decision to so heavily rotate and and particularly having targeted this game rather than the City game?
2: Well, I, don't if, I don't see it that way, Elliot. <laughs> I think... Um, what a surprise. I... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I um. I think the City game, the team was was, was fine for the City game. I I think um, you need to have a certain quality of player and technical player for that game um, and people who are aware of the ball. Um, I did have issues about the Benfica first game. I felt we were a striker light. I know Tim and I think we all agree about the... uh, two plus two two strikers versus two creators or two scorers or two sprinters however you want to balance it up I felt we were a sprinter scorer forward light in Benfica second game should have been better but there you go but this game it was was in the post right because Benfica the home game in Athens was a traumatic game and it was a high pressure game and emotional game and those sort of games have a real impact on your freshness and They obviously stayed over. We saw pictures of them doing their recovery. They fly back. They do train Saturday morning. They just pick up their tracksuits and back on the coach to the hotel. I mean, it's like no time at all to really get any rest. So, selection was key. And, you know, I did think that Leicester had something not quite as bad as us, but they had a, a big game against a physical team on the Thursday night. So, there was no real advice apart from the extra journey, et cetera. They would have been in a hotel Friday night for a home game. So, yeah, I, I didn't mind the team. I'm not one for lineups. You know that now. I just don't care. I much prefer to look at them as they play and comment on, on I what assure they do, you
1: I can pick an should. Arsenal lineup that would make you care.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, I, <when> I care. <laughs> but, if I, if, but sometimes if you get caught up in the, the one-hour stuff, it can really ruin it for you. It can really ruin the game where you can't see the game you got a couple of people in your mind you end up watching the game through those people's eyes and you don't see the game and the connecting to the game is, is key and some games you really connect in some games you struggle to right so um so yeah I wasn't bothered didn't really see the team that closely I was out doing a, a little run stroke walk and for those that know me it's no it's more walk than run and um, before the game so I came back and um yeah just went straight into it so I was. you fine don't spill your it.
1: rum when you go for a walk is the point.
2: <laughs> no do hope I should start taking more of it, hit flask. But uh, yeah, I think um yeah, I think I was okay with it because I just knew we were gonna be tired and it's just a matter of okay, this is what we've decided. I was pleased to see Pepe play and that's what he's, he's a player that I like and I want to see do well. Um, Cedric was an interesting one. I thought Gabriel would play, so I'm not sure what's happened there, and I'm still not sure what's happened there. Was he just rested? And apart from that I was absolutely fine Let's just get on with it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I think, look, this is a place for honesty. This is a safe space to express our opinions. I think the problem for me was that I felt, all right, Thursday, Sunday, Thursday, Sunday, then a week off. The game we can win is Leicester. The game we probably couldn't win was City. But he picked his strongest side against his mentor because he wanted to go head to head with him and was willing to rotate for the Leicester game. That, That was my initial reaction. I'm admitting it here. Because this is a safe space, and I want to be honest. But look, it, it all worked out, and so it is what it is. Um, I think what's interesting, Tim, is you know, I'm having a hard time getting into Arteta's head from a process standpoint, which is probably for the best. You wouldn't want me there. But, you know, he he starts getting these performances out of Pepe on the left, with Saka on the right. And we've already talked about how William has really struggled to find any form on the left and is more naturally right-sided. Now, I, you know, I mean, you could debate that back and forth, but... I thought it was really interesting that in starting both Pepe and Willian, Pepe goes back to the right-hand side, where he started against City, by the way, rather than playing yeah. on the left where he's been good and letting Willian play on the right to maybe try to yoke a performance of him. Now, irony being what it is, both players were excellent on the opposite side from where you might have thought he'd try to play them. So do you have any thought on why he has now said, all right, well, when Saka's is not playing, Pepe's back to the right-hand side um, and and Willian's going to stay on the left and to what extent do you think it might be influenced by fullback selection, if at all?
3: Yeah, so um, first I just want to say I've always been an advocate of Willian playing on the left. Um, Yeah, I I, I can definitely
1: vouch for that, Tim. You've you've said said nothing but that multiple times.
3: (laughs) Yeah, I've been saying it repeatedly for weeks. I'm just glad the manager finally listened. (laughs) 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 Um, So I, I think, so the first thing is, I and I've said this um, for a few weeks now. Like, I think we've got to stop thinking about um, rotation, uh, particularly in our forward line, as. As something that either weakens or strengthens the team. Now, look, there are some players that are, that are better than others, of course, um, in our in our own opinions, and some players we want to see more than others. But and I've, I've said this all season, we have got a lot of depth in attack. We completely switched the front three in two games, and Martinelli didn't kick a ball in either of them. That's like that's seven attackers we were able to use in those uh, sorry six we were able to use in those those front three positions Martinelli couldn't even get on as a sub and Kettier and Nelson couldn't even get on the bench we have a lot of depth in attack and as much as a lot of people wouldn't wouldn't guess it sometimes we do have a lot of quality and what I like um whether this is by accident or design. And I think it's by accident is that we have a lot of attackers that can do very different things. And I think that's good. And so I, th- I think, um, obviously, and Arteta's has talked about having, um, more tactical flexibility since he came to the club. And, you know, I, I said earlier in January when we kind of, we finally started playing like a good number 10 and, and, you know, I was kind of saying, well, look, that that's great. That's the first step. But now we need to be able to involve the other guys. We need to be able to get a tune out of Willie Ann and Pepe. We're going to need them and we need either to bring them on or be able to start them. And And, and I think the honest answer is, is it's different strokes for different folks. Um, And I I do think it's, yes, it's slightly governed probably by fullback selection. Cedric and Pepe just works better than than Bellerin and Pepe. Um, I think, even if I still think that Bellerin is overall a superior player to Cedric. um, I think when he's got Tierney at left-back, he kind of wants someone to come in off that flank. uh, So Tierney can be the overlap. And obviously, Willian's very right-footed. And he, he, yeah, he... He was much better anyway, just because like his shoulder positioning was just much better. Like his sh- he wasn't facing outwards and just passing backwards into the side. He was he was on the half turn. And I remember reading something about Arteta coaching that into Sterling, you know, coaching him to have his shoulders forward when he received the ball. Um, but I also think it was probably something that he identified um, in Leicester as well. Leicester have basically got so many full that they played three of them. Um, Even though James Justin is injured, they they can't really make a decision between Castagna and Ricardo Pereira. Um, So they played both of them. And and I think he probably saw a bit of a weakness there um, in terms of of, of playing Willian off the left and getting Tierney to, you know, getting I I think a big part of um, his approach here, Elliot, was getting the wingers inside and getting mm. the fullbacks to follow them inside. And you saw um, how devastating Pepe was. I mean, on um, what's his name on Thomas at left back, which, which reminded me for people who remember when Arsenal played Old Trafford in 98 and Mark Overmars gave jo- a young fullback called John Curtis, such a bad time that Curtis was subbed at half time, And I don't think he played for United again. I think he was sold that summer. It, it, it was one of those. It was a kind of woof, Like if, if this was, The Leicester podcast would be saying can we use this guy again? Has his career like been finished? How does he bounce back from this? Like, mm. and it was because Pepe kept pushing in off that flank and forcing him inside. And I think William was doing something similar as well. So there was something about this game where I think he wanted more of an overlap from both of his fullbacks and to push those in forward, those um, inside forwards inside. And that I think probably governed his decision to play Lacazette as well. Cause if you're going to push your inside forwards inside a bit, you probably want um, a striker who's going to combine who's more likely to be there for the wall pass than the one who's waiting for the cutback or the cross. So I do think, I don't think this, uh, maybe I'm giving Arteta too much credit, but I don't think this was just a, oh man, the front three I'd really like to play are all knackered. Um, I'm just going to throw these guys out there. Like there there was, don't get me wrong, like Sakura and Aubameyang usually play, but I do think that there was an actual plan here that I could follow. And I'm delighted to see that because that's what I want to see going forward.
1: Yeah, I'm not going to sit here and say we have a, a team that's ready to challenge for the title. What I will say is that this front four, you know, the one behind the striker and then the three, or the three behind the striker, however you want to call it, in the 4231 2 um, we have got two for each position, really. And while I, I don't know that you'd say our first choice four are the best in the league, certainly there are some <laughs> devastating ones, outside of City, our second choice might be. Um, you know, whether it's Lacazette, Martinelli, Willian... Pepe, Odegaard, you know, where you want to switch out with Smith, Like, They're all players who can come in and start at a high level. I don't know that you'd want them to all come in as a unit in the way that we did in this game regularly. But it certainly worked on this day, and that'll take mm-hmm. me to another point a little bit down the road that I want to talk about in terms of managing this season a little differently than maybe a manager might another season. We'll come to that in a second. But Clive, one of the things that's fun about being in the WhatsApp And doing the instant reaction pod with you is that I I get exposed to a lot of your tactical ideas and and analysis of the game uh, in places that people who who aren't there can't. And then I can repackage them as my own ideas on this podcast. Uh, I'm not going to do that here. I'm going to get out of your lane (laughs) and let you explain what went wrong for their early goal. And I have to admit, this was the moment where I thought, why do I wake up for these 6 a.m. kickoffs? Um, I had the fear. It It really felt like another one of those days, and another example of an early mistake ruthlessly punished. Because ultimately, you know, as much as we make the mistake and it's silly, the goal is a snapshot from a wide position where I don't think the players expected it. And just one mistake early on ruthlessly punished with an instant goal. But there's a lot of errors in there. There's a Willian error, a Shaka error, maybe a Marie and an Elneny error, maybe even a Leno error. A lot of players who went on to have very good games. But do you want to explain... The Shaka, in particularly, you've been talking about offline with us and, and how how that goal comes to pass.
2: Yeah, and Shaka has made it in his interview after the game, so that well, that was pleasing. Hey, look, it's very simple. We're playing around on the pitch, no problem, going around the back line. It goes into Shako, pops it into William. and in the Tierney um, sort of position, and Tierney's gone ahead, right? So once he's ahead... You normally set it to your midfielder and William who sets it back and you and you flick it down the line. Right? So simple. Upset and through. No problem. Um, but you've got to go through because your left back's up there. They get in a bit of a kerfuffle, the ball comes back on Shaka's right foot. We all know what happens there. He has a couple of touches. He tries for another set. Now, the Leicester teams now, because once you set, what you the reason why you set is you want to attract people to the ball. Right? So once you attract them to the ball, you ping it in behind, you turn them around. Tierney was making lots of third-man runs in behind in the early stages until he knew the game was won, and then he settled down. So that was obviously a tactic for us, and we then tucked inside as Tim Miller too. To do, right? so, But we didn't go in behind, so we did exactly what they wanted us to do. We played into the crowd team. They then transitioned on us, and now it's a run. So now it's a race. So it's a race. It's a race that El Nelly didn't really fancy. <laughs> right? So, and this is the thing sometimes about um, having having uh pace issues. So, so someone else
1: trying to get you to join a call right now?
2: Yeah, it looks like looks like there is. Look, if, a... if
1: if you're cheating on the podcast, at least do it when you're not recording the actual podcast. I don't. I don't mind. You know, we're not we're not purely about monogamy on this podcast, although you know we we try to be when possible. We try to be proponents of it. Uh, but I do believe that that when you are physically on the podcast, your your head and your heart should be here.
2: No, no, no. So basically, the ball goes in. The ball should have gone in behind. El Nelly should have come over and covered with a sprint. He didn't really fancy a sprint. And sometimes when you're when you're a bit here today, you know? <laughs> when you're when you're having pace issues, what happens is that you don't really want to be in those wide areas. So you try to hold the centre. Marie was probably a little bit narrow, but he's thinking about Jamie Vardy, and who could blame him after the the way we can see the goal at the Emirates, and the way he's done us many times in the past. So the next mistake was really, and then he should have come over much quicker. And then they take the shot. It was a it was a very good shot, to be fair. He sort of took it really snapped it in early. So I don't really worry about the goalkeeper in that situation. It was side in by the post. But so yeah, Shaka should have set it in behind, and then he should have covered over. When I see these things, I can talk about it now with a le- level of comfort and ease. Is that when I see these things, I just see what we need to do next season. Mm. We need a centre midfielder that's faster. It's as simple as that. Chaka is a is a very good player. He lacks speed. Uh, El Nenny lacks speed. tobias lacks speed. We need speed. Yeah, so, yes. speed is it's, good. It's, it's as simple as that We need so when we're upgrading we need speed we need someone who can look after the football but also when there's a recovery run and there's a race on you're boshing that bloke into the seats simple as that and that's what we need to do so I can say that we comfort so people who are looking at our players and we have to remember we are 10th today and we're really enjoying what we're seeing and I'm really enjoying the direction of the manager and what he's doing I'm really behind how he's building this and if you get support from the club I'm more behind him but the upgrade situation is becoming clearer and clearer and clearer, the more we play this four-two-three-one way, because you can almost see the team more clearly now, what the attributes are, what relationships are, what the improvements are, and so we all know now, don't we, <laughs> what we mm. need to do. Yeah. <laughs> we all know that, and it's, and it's clear, and I'm, and I'm absolutely fine with that when we've won, obviously.
1: Yeah, and I think you can so- certainly see... Um... The, the, there was questions. I listened to the artscast cast and they talked about, was it a concentration issue? Um, I, I think you can put it down to concentration. You could certainly put it down to getting pressed into a bad position early in the game. The, the players sort of shaking off a, a little bit of the, the fatigue and the rust from having just played a, a big, important emotional game on Thursday. But, you know, look, you can make mistakes. Mistakes happen. They don't always get punished with a goal. And I do feel right now like they're always getting punished with a goal. But Tim, uh, much to the credit of the team, they shook it off and they controlled the game pretty well from there on. Um, there wasn't a mm. lot that didn't go our way the rest of the way. I thought the players showed a lot of character, but also quality. The, the thing I will ask you here, though, is something that I'm sort of fascinated by when, when looking at this game, which is how much... In the Premier League right now is going to be governed by quality and how much is going to be governed by freshness because Mm. all of the teams, especially the ones in European competition and still in domestic cups are absolutely knackered. Leicester are injured. They picked up two more injuries in this game, you know, which I think is is again the result of the uh, overextending of players right now this season it's been talked about a lot arteta talked about it after the game he said all the players are playing too many minutes we know this all the coaches and managers are aware of this it is an issue they just have to play through it there's not much we can do but we did rotate yep. and we had a lot of fresh players on the pitch and and lester did not have the uh, the ability to do that and i think as much as we were better than them which we were i just thought you know when whether we were pressing or bringing the ball uh, through the wings you know whether it was pepe attacking their players whatever it was there was just a A freshness about our side that was not there for Leicester. And I think, is it time for maybe Arteta and managers generally, but preferably just Arteta, to start thinking about this season in a way they wouldn't in a normal season, which is, if I can put a player on the pitch who has that energy and that freshness, that may be worth more than the quality in this season specifically because of how fatigued these players are. And do you think that specifically played a role in this game?
3: Yeah, I absolutely do. And I was um, I was fairly confident before this game just because I think we got Leicester at the right time. Um, with Madison injured. Um again not his first injury of the season. Vard is you can see Vardy's not on it at the moment. I just I saw Brendan Rudgers press conference today and he's saying, Oh, he's got a bit of a groin injury, but it's a bit of soreness. He's available for Wednesday night, so he's gonna play again on Wednesday night. Said the same about Johnny Evans, yeah, got a bit of a calf problem, but he's old school, he's playing through it, he's available for Wednesday night. So yes, that is an issue for Leicester and an entirely understandable one. They don't have the budget of of other teams to have these kind of huge squads, so and big heartbreak um, on Thursday they you just
1: experienced, by the way.
3: You know? it, exactly exactly and and then to lose barnes as well on on the subject of freshness yes i do i do think i think it has already been this season um a big factor um there are there are many reasons why man city are <laughs> blowing everyone away but one of them <laughs> is the ridiculousness of their squad quite frankly they can change four or five players and and nobody even knows about it um which which is why i've i've been keen you know, not in a massive hurry because some of these players needed building up um for sure, but why well, I've been quite keen to see this as a development and I was I was quite interested in that front three. I didn't regard it as, as like a weakening of the team per se. Mm. Um, even if I've got misgivings about some of those players sometimes. Um, and and the other thing, Elliot, as well, you know, we we reference it and, and it's the same as like everyone's pressing less except for Aston Villa. And I think they're in for a fall as well because um, they've been pressing more with fewer players. So I think they'll um, they'll have quite a bad end to the season, I think. Um, but th- the thing is as well, this isn't just a this season problem. And so I think that pressing or counter-pressing football is going to fall a little bit out of fashion because next season, like, so we've had a, a really compressed season this year. Then it's the Euros. Then everyone comes back. So all of the players who've gone to the Euros going to come back next season, play a full season, you know, they're going to be like two years without like a bit more than two years without a break. And then the season after that, we've got a world cup in the middle of the season, mm. um, which is, uh, which is something by the way, that a lot of um, non-European leagues deal with, but um, in, in Europe, it's a bit of a first. So this kind of, this this is a long term issue, right? The 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 congesting like the congestion of the calendar is not just to this season issue. It's it's going to stay. So I definitely think that um, some tactics are going to adapt. And I also think that's why a, a little part of the reason why, C- why city, um, you know, are, are going, going in a decent direction. Like I feel mm. like football's come back towards them a little bit with perhaps with controlling through possession. He's um, he spoke so about it
2: team, hasn't he? Pep spoken about running less, hasn't he, this yes, season? And literally exactly. and it's it's much more I don't, I don't know. I, I, I honestly want to watch that city game again. But I think we're watching the future of football and not realising yeah, yeah. what's actually happening. Yep. I honestly think we should watch the Arsenal City game about five times to see what the hell was going on in that game because I don't think it was how we felt on the day.
3: No, but even this stuff that City are doing with playing without a striker, Spain were doing that 10 years ago. You know, Spain were playing Fabregas as a false nine when they were winning the World Cup and and the Euros. Like, do you see what I mean? Like, football seems to have like seems to be slowly jumping back ten years more towards um, the kind of control through possession um, type thing. So, I so in short, yes, I do think freshness is going to be like a very very big issue um, for and and will govern will will have a big say about where teams finish at the end of the season. And I do think that 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 is in our favour. We do have a big squad. We can swap those centre-backs, which we've been doing, without anyone noticing. We can put Cedric in for Bellerin. Like, we can do a lot of these things and we can rotate that front three. So I I think that 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 goes in our favour. And if Mm. football's going back towards Pep, that probably means it might be going towards Arteta as well.
1: Yeah, that's an interesting point. I mean, you can see it with Liverpool. Look, consecutive near 100-point seasons and competing on all fronts with a a relatively small squad in the sense of how little rotation they did. You know, They they relied on their key players for 35 to 38 appearances a season in the league, and it's taken its toll. So, you know, I I think that there may be a little bit of a lesson in this for Arteta, which is, and maybe for us as fans as well, oh, by the way, which is it may not be nice to see Obamiang not in there or saka not in there or party not in there or whoever the person is that you're particularly hot and bothered about having in the team but if they've just played sunday thursday sunday you know and it, and it's another big game and you can have someone out there who's ready to absolutely go full tilt 100% against players that are not that's a big edge because these are all talented players you know we're not talking about taking out um saka and putting in you know, I don't know me, we're talking about Nicola Pepe, right? Or we're talking about <clears throat> Gabriel Martinelli or Willian or whatever the case may be. So these are talented players, and I guess th- now we have to get into some of them. The Willian thing is a discussion, but I don't want to do it first because I think Pepe is a, a guy that is arguably the-, the bigger story of this match. Um, he scores a goal. He creates a penalty. Um, he got kicked to pieces. You know what's interesting? Just just a little hypothesis of mine, and Clive, you'll probably disagree with this, but <clears throat> um, I thought Pepe went down more in this game. Now, that's not me saying he threw himself to the ground. He was fouled. But if I if I had a criticism of Pepe in a way, sometimes as a player, you have to take care of your own protection, and he's a very honest player. A lot of times you see these very tricky, dribbly players who aren't very honest. They get any little tap, and they go to ground. Pepe stays up. He really stays up. He rides challenges. He wants to beat the man. And a lot of times I think he doesn't get calls because he he doesn't go down the way he could or the way he should. And I thought in this game, to be fair, he went down. He went down around the edge of the area. He went down around the box. He creates a goal with it from a, from a free kick, um, thankfully. I, I just think, you know, he went down in, in the box. At first, it looked like to create a penalty, but he winds up being a free kick. So, I, look... Clive, I mean, I thought this was an excellent Pepe game. I think he, he worked hard at both ends. I think he used his head about winning fouls and calling them out, which got a guy taken off basically at halftime because he was on the verge of getting a red. And he showed the quality. There was that one dribble. Guys, I don't remember exactly when it was. It was second half sometime where he beat like five guys in the middle of the park. Um, I think it is the one that results in him giving the ball to Cedric right in the middle of the box. But Cedric kind of blows it. But... Um just a, an, another really good day for pepe and you know even still a day where i think he passed right around seventy nine, eighty percent. so you know with pepe he's going to try the hard things some days they're going to come off like it did today and you're really going to be impressed by him the days when it doesn't we already know what that looks like so uh, clive now that i've covered basically everything there is do you have anything <laughs> left to say about Pepe? No. probably the good stuff is left for you so go for it
2: i think um it's interesting you quoted the stats and I I look at the influence, and I, well, when Abamyang's not there, I look at who's our guy, who's the guy that looks the most dangerous. So early in the game, looked like Tierney, looked like Pepe. So they're the ones I I look for guys that running, that running behind, that that threaten, threaten with the football or threaten without. The people that set the play, like Smith, Fern, Lacazette, I can see it, but my eyes don't warm to it really, if I'm honest. <clears throat> Excuse me, they don't warm to it. So Pepe was really going at his man quite nicely. I always look at the spacing, I always look at his concentration levels because there are times, let's be honest, I like the player, but there are times where I think he's asleep, right? And the ball's bouncing off his knee. You wonder, he's facing the wrong way all the time, he doesn't look interested. And he has had those games. There's no denying He has had those games, much like the guy on the left on William. <laughs> he's had those games where you wonder about them. But consistently over the last couple of months, he's developing more and more minutes where he's more influential. And so his game time, where he does well, has just increased and increased and increased. Because he used to have patches of really exciting YouTube stuff, then you wouldn't see him he really get taken off. Now he seems much more attuned with the team, mm. working hard, filling spaces. When he sees movements of his teammates, he goes either to the ball to create time for the slow transition, or he fills in, he doubles up. So he's doing all the basic stuff, which is good. That keeps you on the pitch. Those are the non-negotiables, dare I say it. Those are the standards by which we play. Then we come back to the stuff that we've actually paid the money for. Obviously, let's not talk about the money too much, but we paid the money for his individual quality in the last third. And so if we've done that, we have to allow him to be that individual quality in the last third. And I felt in this game, we saw him. And I think part of that was how Cedric played with him. And I saw, I watched the game again today because... But spoke before, I was a bit flat about again, Let me have a look at this so I can spot anything. And it's a very simple thing that Cedric does, very simple. When he passes the ball to him, he drops away. He passes it five yards, he drops away to create ten yards. What that does to the winger is, that stops people nibbling from the front, from, mm. from the defender, it stops him, because now they know Pepe is a true passing option because of the distances you Heard me talk about offensive distances when you have the ball, have you got your distances right? But that simple thing now, if that's Bellerin, he'll pop the ball to him and it'll just go, pull it out of a gun, straight past him. What that does to the winger is get, I'm last man, so I've, I can't try anything, I can't be individual because I'm going to lose it. If I lose it, we've literally got a big hole there, right? So plus the fact that when Bellerin goes past him, he goes past him quite closely, and basically you bring people with you. So you're creating even less room. So we've all sort of seen that developing. But today I saw it. I saw just a pass drop away, create room. When you underlap, you underlap 10 yards apart. When you overlap, it doesn't matter how you overlap, what the distances are, it's the speed by which you do it. Right? So Bellerin can do that. But on the inside, you've got to be cute. The distance has got to be big. So you become a true passing option. So when you're popping the ball to him, don't get up behind too close. Distance. So you're a true option, and you keep the spacing there. And funny enough, how many one-on-ones did he have? He got fouled five times in the game. And it's simple things like this that makes a football match. I look at a lot of these videos and coaching stuff, and and I think sometimes people say, oh, this happened, because that happened, this happened because that happened. I think there's some primary coaching messages that happen, and everything else flows from that. If I was Cedric now, then I've heard you both both say this that Billy has been told to underlap. Oh, there's, there's ways to underlap, there's times to underlap, there's distances within that underlap. Do you see what I mean? And that's the issue. That's the technical issue. And I think I'm afraid Cedric did it perfectly at the weekend. He actually had a good game by doing less work, and he ended up having the second most touches because he was available. And he fed his winger, and we all saw the result. So Pepe's done his fundamentals. He's now getting the ball as he likes it. So responsibility is on you now, son, to drive your man, move, get into your move quickly, like Marius does. Get into your game quick. Got it at your feet. Go, go at him, one on one. That's what he did. And um, yeah, I'm really pleased because we need this guy, don't we? And a lot yeah. of money being spent. Yep. Need it to work, don't we? And and it's time to work now. So fair play.
1: Yeah, I mean, there there are a lot of players that you know can be safe and work within a structure and and all, all of the things that you say about sort of team guys that coaches like to have. But when you get into the final third and close to the box, that's really the the zone of of most impact. It's why strikers get money that center backs don't. Well, not all center backs, but you, you get my point. You know, it's it's why those positions are the glory positions because the hardest part of the pitch to execute and the most important part of the pitch to execute. And I still think what makes Pepe such an an interesting player is not necessarily beating five guys, you know, in midfield. It's the things he can do in the final third to break down a defense and individually create something and still his ability, in my view, to quite expertly combine with teammates. You know, for the Pepe goal, Pepe slides a pass through to Odegaard. That shows a lot of vision and touch that I don't think is always associated with his game. I think, I think his talent is sometimes misunderstood because he has that sort of drunken master kung fu dribble style, and that's how people think about him. I, I think he was a really do intelligent think, footballer.
2: Do you think he almost plays younger than his age? I mean, he's twenty five, right? But I look at him; I mean, he looks. I think he's almost looked like a twenty two year old. Do you know what mm. I mean? I just think he plays young, plays loose. It's like he's he's got. Natural talent, but tactically, he hasn't had the schooling maybe to um, to what to what's required in the Premier League in a team that needs people to be switched thing. on.
1: You watch him before he got to Arsenal, and you watch some video of him. He was a stone cold killer in the final third, and I'm not just talking about goals. He knew how to pick out his teammates. Um, you know, he 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 really does understand it. So I I, I think look credit to Cedric because that partnership gave him the chance to be isolated when he needed. Don't bring another defender over to him. He can beat one. He can't beat two and three every time. So I, I think that really did work. Um, Tim, you know, look, you can certainly talk about Pepe if you want. There's a lot more to to get to here. And I think it is important that we touch on the Willian thing. It is the unfortunate problem of a very polarized opinion having, and, and I'm certainly guilty of this at times too, that if someone is not having a good game, they are shit. And if someone is having a pretty good game, they are extraordinary. And, you know, the truth is quite often, quite boringly, in between. So, I wonder if maybe we've been seeing little glimmers of improvement from William that we maybe haven't acknowledged. He was good in the second half against United when he came on for Martinelli. Um, you know, he was obviously quite good against Benfica, and I do think that the manager trusting him in the biggest moment of the season to come on, and he provides the assist for the, the goal that starts the fight back, that helps a player, and then he goes right back to him here. You know Maybe there have been little signs of, of him coming around a bit, and while I don't think he was an all-conquering inspiration in this game, it's certainly his best performance for us in a competitive fixture because the fulham game at the beginning of the season i don't think fulham were a particularly competitive side so do you have any thoughts on on maybe that there have been signs of life from William? not to retcon our, our previous opinions and and what you think worked for him in this game that you know may, maybe took us all by surprise um uh, maybe yeah um
3: so I, i'm not i'm not so sure that i would call it signs of life but we've perhaps i well i think definitely as a fan base like overbaked the pudding on how bad he's been at times and you've only got to look at your twitter timeline like when he comes up like he he has become the de facto you know joke really the
1: punchline, um and you've scapegoat only got to, for all things wrong with a disappointing season yeah
3: mm-hmm. yeah yeah exactly and you've only got to look at and and there's a lot of particularly you know on social media and we all do it there's a lot of groupthink, right we'll all you know, we we all like, especially when we can see others doing it. We'll, you know, we'll get involved with a bit of that. And every time he comes on, like <laughs> everyone goes a bit mad, um, and and that's that's been overwrought, which which is perfectly natural. There's nothing uh, particularly unusual going on there, um, but. He's he, he he like this is I agree with you. This is definitely his best performance of the season, not least because of the opposition and the circumstance and all of that. And we've gone one nil down like, you know, we've gone one nil down away um, at the team in third place. Um, you know, whatever, however, we regard Leicester City in terms of, quote unquote, the big six and all of that. They finished fifth last season. They're third at the moment. They're a very good side. They're a better side than us. Um, and unfortunately, we have a thing called the league table that determines that. Yeah. So, so very the, inconvenient. Yeah. So this, yeah. <laughs> so that this is what well, apart from we, we probably beat them in the Forbes Rich List, which um, let's face <laughs> it, that is the league table.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, so, so this is definitely his best contribution of the season. I think really, um, I, I guess the wider point I'd make here is and and also so his his first assist in this game right is a set piece and that is one of his strengths he is good at that he has always been good at that at delivering a good ball and he does have assists from doing that this season um from kind of swinging a ball over like his cross for gabriel against wolves is is Brilliant, absolutely pinpoint. Mm. Um, and I guess I'd point out that that assist comes from the right-hand side, albeit from a dead ball. Like he's really good at pinging the ball in um, on his right foot. It's a really nice set with piece the sec-
1: routine, by the way. I thought. Yeah, anyway, yeah, yeah it,
3: it, it is absolutely um, between you know two guys who are best friends. Um, however much that has to do with it, mm. his his second assist, which I understand doesn't actually go down as an assist, which I think is kind of harsh. Because, um, you know, he, he didn't necessarily intend to pass the ball to Pepe. But that is very similar to his assist for Lacazette at Fulham. So not the second one where he pings the ball to Oba, but where he kind of scuffs a shot and Lacazette gets it and it and it goes in. And and I guess what I'd really say about this game where I really think this game felt different. And even when we were 1-0 down and we had the ball, and by the way, in hindsight, I think for Leicester going one up that early was the worst thing that could have happened to them um, because I think they got lucky to beat us at the Emirates. I don't think they deserved to beat us at all. But because it was Vardy, It was very, like, um, the analysis of that game was very narrative-driven. It was like, oh, Vardy's done it again. And totally yeah, he, he did do it again, but like, fuck off like that. They got lucky. They had one chance and scored it, which is fine. That's the name of the game. But it wasn't the tactical masterpiece that everyone suggested it was, which is why I wasn't hugely worried about Vardy in this game. Um, to be honest, I've seen a bit of him recently, and I just don't think he's there at the moment. He's he's had a few muscle injuries. But but what really made the difference and what made me feel different about this game um, even when we were when, you know, Leicester sat back and decided that they were gonna try they obviously planned let's go one 0 up and sit back, but they probably didn't plan to go one 0 up in the seventh minute and have to do that for eighty-three minutes. But it didn't feel like sterile domination. And and one of the reasons, I mean you reference well, we've referenced like Pepe, you know, committing fallbacks and going inside and stuff like that, and Willian did that too. Um, and, And there were far fewer, I think, like hopeful, just punted crosses into the box for this one. Just look with that third goal, the amount of bodies in the box. That is the difference. And that is what we haven't seen enough of from Arsenal this season. So it's not a totally clean pass to Willian. And Willian is not a clean assist for Pepe at all. But when you have bodies in the box those things will bounce you. If you've just okay. got a Bamiyang standing there trying to get onto like T and his 50 foot high crosses, like it, you know, it, it's it got less chance of happening and you are absolutely tethered to a Bamiyang's ability to both find that space and score, which is fine. Like he's really, really good at that, Turns but you out. need something else. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. You do need something. Else, but that's why we'd only scored what up until last week, 31 goals this season. Cause we've tethered ourselves to like a slash Lacazette finding the exact space at the exact time. Whereas you look at that third goal, there's five players in the box. So when there's two ricochets, they fall for Arsenal players. And that's just what happens when you have players in the box or you have more than one player in the box. And that was also a big part of this victory and also a big part of why I think Willian and Pepe looked better because they had the support, they had players you know they were able to make those runs they had players like dragging players all over the place and we had a plan a specific plan to isolate the fullbacks and pull them inside and let the fullbacks go the out on the outside of them we we stressed them we worried them it wasn't just that there's your five lanes of attack just stand there and hope Bamian can do something there was interchange and it was it was much better and it's why about 10 minutes after leicester scored i was like i was expecting us to dominate possession but i was really expecting it to be stereo- and it didn't feel that way. And that's why I think.
1: Yeah. And I got um, a level. Yeah, go ahead, please.
2: I would say to Tim, we said he had support. I think we had intelligent support. I think that's really key. I think the intelligence index his team had gone up since Christmas. And so there's a level of intelligence and working together that's coming. I do see that. I totally agree about flooding the box. That's definitely something that we're doing more of. Again, we're trusting each other in possession. You flood the box, you're demanding a certain service and when it arrives, so the movement is everything. So thinking forward, again, I can't help but think forward to what we need in the, in the upper end because we haven't scored enough goals. There is upgrade opportunities there. I think we can all see them. But I think it's more important to have forward-thinking players, and I think that's what Man City have showed us, have forward-thinking players that move at the right times, know when the ball is coming, and we're to see more of that. And One thing that's really struck me in the last two games is the composure by which we're playing so when you rewatch the games and just watch them again it's just so much calm on the pitch there's Mm. so much calm and it really I don't know if I'm calm when I'm rewatching, but you just look at it even the last 10 minutes of Benfica it was calm it was surgical there was a confidence and it's just growing it's just growing and the more experiences we have like Leicester and Benfica I feel it's only going to go in one direction and that's caught me out, right? I think I know everything, but that's caught me out, right? It just it, it's, there's a calmness there, which I just didn't think was in this team. I generally didn't. I thought they play like how we feel sometimes, you know, rushed and you know, lack of technique under pressure, etc. But I can see a developing calmness and it, it's really, really enjoyable.
1: Yeah, and, and I mean the look, the change to the 4231 system has been important, but one of the reasons that it's worked is because we've had players to play behind the striker. Uh an issue that we really struggled with earlier in the season. Um, When we had to use Lacazette as a 9 and a 10, and he had to drop to the halfway line and collect the ball and then run into the box, and it it just didn't work. Look, we have two of them now, and thank God we do because we lost one on the day. But, Clive, one of the things that I'd love to touch on is the difference in how Smith-Rowe and Odegaard play the position. They both play it really well. It is a shame that we are losing Smith-Rowe, And absolutely crucial that we have Odegaard, and it looks like a really savvy and important move now because if Smith Rowe is out for two or three weeks, you know, and maybe misses both legs against Olympiacos, not to mention what's going on in the league, um, you'd be right back to a bunch of choices, none of which are really appealing. And in this case, we're not. The interesting thing is I, I think they're seen as interchangeable. But not only because one's right-footed and one's left-footed, their style is slightly different. Smith-Rowe strikes me as a guy who will crash the box more. One touch, lay it off, and run, and move, and lay it off, and move again. Whereas Odegaard maybe will carry it a bit more, maybe wants to play more of that Ozilian pass, maybe one's more David Silva, one's more Mesut Ozil. you'd take both. Um... And I think Odegaard's role in the Pepe goal is in an outstanding position. He just makes a really intelligent run, finds a little seam between the, the defenders chasing back and the defenders backpedaling into their own box. And there's only one place to go with the ball, and he goes there with the right tempo. And for a team that has had a lot of threatening moves this season that don't result in even a shot, let alone a goal, I think the addition of these players is, is helping us convert more of these, these moves into into shots and goals, as Odegaard did there. So, do you have sort of thoughts on the loss of Smith and, and how the two maybe play the position a little differently?
2: Yeah, Smith first. I think um, his futures in in you know he's just got to get his body right, and he's just it's just time. It he, literally is just uh-huh. time. More on that he coming just... up
1: with Doc, uh, Dr. Raj. By the way, we talk about that in the next okay,
2: segment. Okay, so, mm-hmm. so I won't go too heavy on that then. But he, his futures in the gym. Right, and mm-hmm. just generally growing up as a man and um so that's for him and, and but what that will bring him is physical confidence. I think he is a super intelligent player, he knows how to connect, he can read one, two parties ahead, but with physical confidence he'll just know he's gonna get that Madison shot, bang, just to my feet, whip it to the right, bang top corner. He's gonna have the confidence to do that, he's gonna have the confidence not to play just five yards setting plays, but switching of plays. You know, So the future for him is massively bright. And now look at Odegaard now. So he's more of a slight smaller carry. He's not super quick, so he carries when he needs to. So he wants to commit people, and he pops it off to the free man. He can obviously see a pass in that inside right channel all day long. He played one, I think, to Pepe. That was just beautiful. Literally stopped and said hello to Pepe when he arrived at his feet. I mean, it was just incredible. He'd done that before. When he drifts across the area from right to left, I just wanted to, sometimes I want to see him bang a shot, you know, but he, he slips a pass. So for us now, we've got to trust that he can see stuff that we can't see and then we've got to keep moving and running because he will find the player. He will find that reverse if he needs it. He'll do whatever is required. A little bit Ozil-like. Sometimes I wish Urzel would shoot in the edge area, but he, he doesn't want to ruffle his boots up. So he would, like, try and play a pass. I think other guys are big like that, but I have seen him shoot. And I think that's something that, obviously, coachable I like I like the both. I mean one's out, great, Odegaard comes in, but there is an option. And the guy I know he's already Superman, but we could easily play Saka in there. Now we've found William. Now we've found Pepe. We've got Martinelli to come in and could play off the sides. There is there are options and just, just think of that front four as like a front four diamond and that that working together and then we normally add a fifth person be one of the four backs that comes and join in to make the five in attack. Front four diamond, that's the key. And you get a level of rotation, which is going to be the future for us. So I don't mind seeing Saka inside because now William has found a bit and, and Pepe on one side. That could be incredibly exciting and get a bit of rotation in there. Sometimes injury provides an opportunity. And, and for all that Smith-Rowe's done for us, he's saved our Arsenal Christmases and saved our, saved our year. He's still a young man and we've got to allow that kid time to grow into the player he could absolutely be. 'Cause he is super, super intelligent. So yeah, Odegaard comes in and I'm I'm quite comfortable with the other options. As we said earlier, well Tim said, we've got a lot of attacking mids. A lot of them. we've got another we'll couple out on loan. We've got a lot of attacking mids that can really do well in that area. And seeing that come a new option could be something quite exciting.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it is important for us to to not just think of players as interchangeable pegs in in a system because they are both tens in this system and I I do think that they they bring something different to the way they do it um uh, Tim I don't want to shut you out of that but let's not go too long just um do you do you have a thought on on what will come from this I mean the one the one sort of knock-on effect of this is Arteta does seem to have settled in and I, I look it's hard to predict what Arteta has settled into because he's he's shown a willingness to change sort of out of the blue. But he had started to settle in on Odegaard at 10 and Smith-Rowe on the left as one of his preferences. It certainly seems like now, with Pepe having had a good game here and Smith-Rowe not being available, that we're probably going to see a lot more Pepe in the first choice, back to the left with Sack on the right, mm-hmm. Aubameyang up top and Odegaard at 10. But do, do you think that that is the knock-on effect of the injury, and, and do you sort of agree that... Odegaard, an excellent option, an option growing into our team, but a different option in the way he plays that position.
3: Yeah, I, I think it could open up for Pepe. I think it'll open up for Martinelli um, as well. I do think we'll see him get more minutes um, as a result as well. Um, we we kind of go through this every time. Every time someone doesn't play for a couple of games, you go, Fuck! They're never going to play again, and then they come back in and, and like put three games together, and and I think it's just it's just something we've we probably got to get used to. With Erdogan, I don't have too much to add. I agree. He's he's a bit more Urzili, um, in terms of you know he's got that he's got that very like nice language style to him, and I, and he he drifts over to the right as well a lot, like Urzil did. Whereas Smithrow, I think, is busier, but perhaps doesn't have he doesn't have like I think. They are just very different because Smith Rowe basically moves and connects a bit more. But I'm not sure that Smith Rowe has the pass that Erdegaard has, you know, like the absolute defence splitter Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I agree. I, I do. I do think. You know, I, what Clive was talking about there with Smith Rowe shooting more. We will see that. Like, um, I saw this kid do it in the youth team. Like, it, it might not be this season, but we will see him score goals and take shots on. He can do. He's a great long-range shooter. Yeah,
2: think, there's a video, isn't there? Him scoring a youth goal against Sunderland, Sunderland. curled one in from the right. And this ball, I don't know how it moved like that. He just curled from the outside in, from yep. the left-hand side. So it's there, but obviously it's left it's men's football it's there it's just it's just it's just time mate it's just time.
3: yeah yeah he's got to, he's just got to take it on um but yeah like i, I again i think there are are two players that you can just look at and say okay erdegaard suits this kind of game or suits these kind of teammates so we'll drop him in today smith rowe you know perhaps we want to go a bit more counter pressing or whatever so we can drop him in and and again different strokes for different folks and i i do think that is the type of squad that arteta is is trying to build um just having those different options that can slot in and out and maybe that's why he'll be so heavy on the kind of the pattern play i guess and some of the stuff i know i've been complaining about about it being too structured but maybe he's looking at it from the point of view that if i structure the hell out of it then I can just drop pieces in whenever I like
1: yeah yeah and it's so then in terms of dropping pieces in I I think Tim that we are sort of settling down at, at the top end of the pitch the irony is that scoring goals has been an issue for us for so long and now I think we feel a bit of calm about that part of the pitch I I was really impressed by the way in this game and I know some people would say that it's it's a naive thing to do I like that we kept our foot on it, that we continued to try to press for uh-huh. more goals and not sit back and and defend. I mean, look, there are levels to that. You don't have to leave yourself totally exposed. And I know there were people that when Vardy goes through and Marie does the brilliant job stopping him, there was there was some gnashing of teeth about how we're we getting caught on the counterattack with a lead at Leicester. But I, I prefer that we try to go win games and continue to keep teams under pressure and continue to have problems for them to solve as opposed to just making it easy. So it sounds like you're agreeing with that, which maybe leaves us an opportunity to also send some praise the way of Pablo Marie, a player who I've probably been a little unfair to, and ask, is now one of the biggest questions what three of the four starting back four are? Because while Tierney is locked in, and while I think Bellarin is a better player than Cedric, there's no argument that Bellarin is playing better than Cedric at the moment. Marie made a good argument here. Gabriel's been a star mm-hmm. of the season. Holding's mm-hmm. done very little wrong and Louise, you never know what you're gonna get. So I mean, is is it the back four now that becomes the shift of focus in terms of what our preference should be?
3: Maybe, but I, I I still think that that will be um, a kind of different strokes for different folks. And and by the way, I think um, Luis in this game, the way he really, really veered over to the right was a, was a big part of how like Cedric was more able to kind of overlap and how Pepe was more able to come inside. Like Luis was playing almost like a right back at times. And then we had like Jacques are dropping in almost like a left back and it almost turned into to a back three, which I think was about guarding against that counter attack without, without um, doing that by taking like attacking players away. Um, and, and so I, with, with Pablo Marie, I think this is really, really interesting because it, it's just one of those rare occasions where I actually have a little bit of an insight on a player who's, is not that well known before, before he arrives, which I usually don't because um, you know, I watch, I guess, three leagues quite intently and I don't watch anything else. So if we sign a player from Germany or Spain, I rarely know that much about them other than their name. Um, but with Maria, I think I think there is like a perception, I'm not going to call it an issue because it's not a problem, but because he's just built so much like Per Mertesacker, I think understandably people have taken the leap and thought that that's the kind of defender we've got and it's not like he's much more like gabriel he's you know he's much more like touch tight high up the pitch um very good at scooting over into that into that kind of let and protecting the left back like he's a good um he's if tin is your left back Mari's a good option to have because he's he's very experienced at covering you know covering that flank that's exactly what he did for flamengo who had felipe luis at left back who's a brilliant left back massively underrated um, one of the best left backs, I think, in, in Europe in the last 10 years. It's just unfortunate for him that probably the best left back in Europe in the last 10 years was also Brazilian in Marcelo, mm. but brilliant left back. And and, and so I think people are maybe, um, have maybe made uh, some assumptions about the type of qualities he brings that he doesn't. So I wasn't surprised to see him keep pace with Vardy because it's not that Marie's lightning, but I don't think he's not slow. Um, I, I think people have seen his size and, and assumed that he'd be quite lumbering, but he's not. Um, you know, he's he's not like I said, he's not like Colo Torre or anything. He's not lightning across the ground, but he's not slow. He's not Murtersacker, mm. and and he can turn as well. Like he wouldn't play the way he did or the way he does rather at centre back if he couldn't turn and run back in the other direction. Like it just wouldn't work because he likes to get nice and high up, and um and that and that helps push the team higher up. So I, I think Murray. Very, very interesting option. Um, and again, like if you look at the way that I think or we think that Arteta wants to play, you know, the build up and who the centre backs are is, is very, very important. And I, I do think it would just come down to that. I do think that a lot of the time it would just be like these centre backs suit this game. And again, you, you're seeing City do the same thing at the moment. They wrote it again. I guess this is because they've got an embarrassment of of riches and resources, but they swap Laporte and Stones and Diaz out. Uh, Diaz probably less so, but Stones and Laporte, they, you know, they they swap those two all the time. Kyle Walker doesn't play every game, you know. They 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 swap around at the back, and a lot of that is not just about rest and rotation. That's just about the team you're playing and maybe other things like who's fresher and everything like that. But I, I don't think that we will see, certainly not this season, maybe not ever, under Arteta. I don't think we'll see like um, an absolute stick first choice back for.
1: Mm, yeah, and I mean I, that's that's fine with me. I I do sort of wonder because every time I wake up, we're linked to a new centre back. And I mean, Mavropanos is playing well away from Arsenal. He's still our player. Saliba is an impressive youngster who's still our player. We have Gabriel. There's rumours that we might keep Luis around. We have Rob Holding. We have Pablo Marie. I mean, how many center backs you need? <laughs>
2: like, I have Callum Chambers, Callum Chambers
1: well. is still sticking around. Yeah, I mean, he, I guess you could say like we need superstar elite center backs. I would love to believe that there's a future two or three seasons from now where Gabriel and William Saliba make an absolutely exhilarating first choice pair of center backs with, you know, maybe even players like holding and Mavropanos as, as options around them. But, you know, we'll, we'll see. Clive, I, I think one of the really interesting things to come out of this now, and we'll start to wrap up here is – I don't think Cedric is an exceptional player. I've joked around about what I what I think of Cedric, but certainly he can he can play football. Um and and he's proven that we need him more than I may have suspected based on Maitland-Niles going out and Hector Bellerin's form and Tierney's injury hit track record has allowed him to get a lot of minutes filling positions that we need filled when we need them and that's exactly what a good squad player should do. I am still of the opinion that he is a squad player, which begs the question Right now, it's pretty hard for me to argue that Bellerin should be starting ahead of Cedric. And I don't know that that's because Cedric is fantastic, but he's doing the basic stuff right. So for you, is the path forward to maybe let Bellerin explore that move that's been rumored, that it's the time for both parties to move on, but also that we need to then make right back a priority? Because for me, while I think Cedric deserves credit for coming in and being effective, I don't know that I think Cedric Suarez is first choice right back at Arsenal level. I mean, you look what Tierney's doing on the left. I'd like to have someone that influential, that quality on the right. And, oh, by the way, we didn't spend $80 million to get him, so it's not impossible.
2: Yeah, I think it's time for a change there. And Again, I think it's a time for a change in centre-forward. It's not because those players are bad players. I just think you have to refresh your team, create people with different problems. You can't keep rolling up with the same player in the same position every single year because... You know, people look at you and analyse you and and they know what you do wrong. I mean, we've looked at Liverpool's front three for a long time now. They're the most watched team in the world last three years. And suddenly they're getting stopped. They're getting stopped more often, you know. So we need to freshen it up a little bit. And so if I look at Cedric, I think, okay, you're going to be in the Arsenal squad. You're a free transfer. You signed a four-year contract. You're 29 years of age. You're going to be here for a couple of years. No drama. You can play both sides. Not a problem. But the ex the next player for me needs to be somebody equally technical. We still build up in the two, three, five. So that player needs to be happy in right mid like like Cedric was at the weekend, but also able to get on the outside when required and dive to the penalty spot when required. So in my mind, if I'm building a squad, squad building, I would probably go for a taller right back. Because we haven't got one. Right? So and so that's what you do, you build a thing. What do we need? We need somebody taller. So the profile is like a, a Reese James would be perfect, right? Obviously, because that player stronger, a bit more bombastic, strength-wise, big crosses, big distances. A Carl Walker type. So it's that type a player that I think we don't have in fullback areas, right? So it just creates a bit of height situation. If say we add the so you're not, not you're not really
1: advocating tr- we go for Lamptey because <laughs> because he's an exciting well, player, but well, he's, uh, he's well, hard to see because he's so small.
2: Yeah, of tried to get him before but obviously Chelsea not going to help out, are they? And and why would Lamptey come to us when we've got 44 right-backs anyway? So he wants to play us while he's leaving Chelsea. Brighton can offer him a future. He just signed a contract. The contract is not meant to be able to stop him going so it's going to secure more money for him. It's going to be £30 million. He is outstanding. But he plays wing-back. And that's what Brighton do. They have a system for him. He plays wing-back. And so we'll be asking to play full-back if he plays fullback for us, we better have two twin towers in centre midfield to to make up for the distance, for the height issues, right? So he is a transformational player. I prefer. I just look at the balance. If you've got Cedric, who's quite tidy and agile and small, let's go for a taller, stronger fullback that gives you something different to the players that you have. So when you have your four fullbacks, you have different shapes and sizes, but you can create different faces for your team, and that's how I look at it. But if we were to get a Max Aaron's, who has, I know is also a very good quality fullback Racing race I mean, to Cedric, but obviously younger, used to play at Luton, used to be number 10 when he was young, really good on the ball, really technical around the area. If also are going that way, then that's another good option. And, but yeah, I'm, I would go for a taller, stronger player and just change it. It's, it's the way of the West, you know. They all go in the end, right? But we're still here. It's just the way of the West, I'm afraid.
1: Yeah, well, all right. I feel like it would be wrong to end this segment and move on to Dr. Raj without Tim at least giving a pat on the back and an attaboy to, to Granite Shaka. um it, it is interesting mm-hmm. how polarizing some players become. And anybody who, who has listened to me knows I'm not a huge fan. I think he limits us. I think he's a player we need to move away from. But I have sort of grudgingly come to accept that he's a player we cannot move away from for a variety of reasons, uh, at least not yet. I praised on Twitter not anything but his durability, and it was in the form of a joke, basically, which I said, Granite Xhaka is impervious to fatigue. It's incredible. The number of negative reactions I got to that, just from people even perceiving that I might have been praising Xhaka, really tells you where we are with this player and how we make up our mm-hmm. minds, and then we are settled. The fact is Granite Shaka is playing well right now, and he has yep. been basically since his red card against Burnley. Burnley? Is that right? Yep. Yeah, thank you. Yep. Um, ironically, our next opponent. Um, Granite check is always available. And I think if you are building a tactical system as a coach, and midfield is just so important to that whole framework, having a player who you can write down on every team sheet for every game for an entire season is so powerful for you because it lets you know the system you're building and working with. I mean... Mm -hmm. You know, whatever you think of, you know, a player like Thomas Party, he needs to start being more available for us so Mikel can build a system that gets the most out of his qualities. And that is true of any player. It's one of the things that makes Yang so extraordinary. In his 30s, built on, you know, a lot of people say, oh, Shaka can play every game because he doesn't run. Well, how do you explain a Bombyang then? He can play every game and he runs like mad. Just some players have that knowledge of their body, that training, that ability. And actually, Dr. Raj and I will touch on this in just a bit. But so... I think Shaka deserves credit, and I think sometimes the way you can deliver that credit is by recognizing that a player has challenges. I mean, look, he's at fault in a, in a manner for the goal we concede, but I still mm. think he comes back, he plays the game really well, he's always available, and his reliability of appearances in the middle of the park is an important backbone for, for Arteta building really anything.
0: Yeah,
3: absolutely. But yeah, exactly. And particularly given the position he plays um, in the spine of the team, like a a really, really important position. I'm glad you referenced the first goal there because... I, I think the thing is, I mean, yeah, he gives the ball away and and obviously giving the ball away on the touchline near the halfway line, you don't usually expect that that guy's going to run through unchallenged and score, um, largely thanks to your midfield partner running away.
1: Mm. <laughs> and, and he's put um, in a pretty tough spot by William giving him the ball there, to be frank.
3: Yeah, 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 exactly. But how would we and this is the thing so I guess the first thing to say with Jacker is I've still got trust issues and they'll take a long time to go away because mm. I feel like I've been here before I feel like I've been here where he's played 10 11 good games and you think okay because like no I don't think anyone's contention or anyone sensible's contention has ever been this is a terrible player who does everything horribly because he's clearly not like the the reason he's so polarizing is because he has big, useful qualities and big, horrible flaws. And... And, and this is the thing, right? Like, I feel like we've been here before where he's put like 10, 11 games together where you don't see any of the horrible flaws. And you're okay, maybe we can trust it. Oh, no, he's just kicked the referee's head off. Or like...
1: <laughs> I would like, pay to see that, though.
3: <laughs> or like wiped his ass on the shirt and, um, you know, revealed an I love Spurs tattoo on his chest or something, you know? Like, you, you always feel like just as you begin to trust him, like that that's probably going to happen. At, like one of those things will happen at Burnley next week end but but what's interesting is that um, I think like even four or five weeks ago he'd have got a lot more heat on light like my timeline would have been on fire with that first goal at him um, whether he deserved it or not which I, I don't think he really would have but that kind of doesn't matter and and actually people were a lot more discerning this time which I think speaks to the quality of his performances recently um, and and yeah he's 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 honestly he's he's been superb. What I've really liked about him is he's he's playing the game rather than his game now. That that's what I really like. He's not he's not just sitting in the same space going, I'm gonna do the same thing every single week, and against some opponents that'll look fine, and against some opponents it won't. Like he is picking up different spaces. Like we saw him in that villa game where he was about 15, 20 yards further forward than he usually is. And that was because that's what the game demanded. And he could see that Pepe was getting into those positions. So I was like, right, I'm just going to keep that. That's my ball. I'm just going to keep doing that. And and then this game, you know, like I said, he, he kind of scoots across almost into left back, which we've seen him do before. And, and don't get me wrong, I don't doubt that some of this, a lot of this is built on tactical instruction as well. But he is carrying out subtly, not, not like enormously different roles, but slightly different roles um, depending on what the game demands. And and the other thing is as well, like he's just um, I mean, he, he does remind me of Louise at times in that he can be technically so clean. When he's folk when he's properly focused and you can see it when he's properly focused, he is technically so, so clean and he just get the ball back. Like when he becomes almost like production line style, um, you know, like mm. conveyor belt, like, yep, give, get, thanks, give, get, thanks. Like that is good Shaka when he just reaches that stage where, you know, he almost looks like an automaton or something and uh, and he just keeps repeating the same movement over and over again that that's good jacker um and and yeah we see bad jacker when you know maybe when he's pushed a bit more out of his comfort zone but i'd say that's when he he loses focus or he loses his head or he gets a bit cloudy um in the brain so and, and we're not, we've just not seen that for, you know, like, I think, like you say, probably since, since the Burnley game, um, yeah. in fairness, we've not seen that, that mm. kind of
1: cloud descend. And that doesn't have to mean temperament in terms it of, almost did in somewhat. this game. It almost did. Yeah, yeah. He, he, he got into some, what, what do you call it? Argy bargy, I guess you'd say, and had to be held back. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and that's, that's, kind of fine um as well we and
3: and yeah look we we know he's emotional um but he had to go at the wrong player didn't he i think that was that was the kind of thing uh instead of ian atro he's having a go all brighton but i i'm fine with that so long as he doesn't take it too far i'm fine with our players standing up for themselves and telling like when tierney um you know it went viral didn't it that clip of tierney calling someone a diving cunt um against benfica like in tierney we're like well hey there we go but when jacka does it we get the fear don't we we're like oh shit is he going to like knock him before, out? Yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But I, I I think he was all right on that one personally.
1: Yeah, and, and I'll say this, and I'll, Clive, I'll let you have the last word. Um, I think of Shaq as sort of how I thought of Giroud, which is to say that I recognize his qualities, and I think that they are qualities that deserve credit, is very good. I also recognize that I think we need a better first-choice option in that position. Now, the problem with the Granite Shack is he is not wired to be the third or fourth central midfielder at a club. I don't see Granite Shaka ever being the guy who's like, you know, bring me on for the Europa League group stage games, coach. You know, Maybe when he's 32, 33, not at this stage of his career. But, I mean, it, it is very much the point. Like, you look at Santi Cazorla. You know, Granit is not in Santi Cazorla's class, not close. But Santi Cazorla didn't help Arsenal very much the last year he was at the club. You know why? Because he wasn't on the pitch at all. So, you know, we've had a lot of players that we really liked whether they were Robin Van Persie or Thomas Rositzky or Jack Wilshire or Santi Cazorla, or, you know, you can go on and on and on. Um, I'm not going to pick Ramsey Eduardo, people whose careers were ended by bad challenges, but, you know, guys who we valued, but ultimately could not be on the pitch enough to help get us where we want to go. And while I think there's a high, a, a much lower ceiling on Shaka's play to have him available every single game must be a tremendous relief for a coach because everything can kind of pivot around that. So, Clive, a, a final word on Shaka, who I I think, you know, if, this is a great day for Agenda. Like I started off saying at the top of the pod, if you can't watch this game and praise William and praise Pablo Marie and praise Cedric and praise Shaka, like, m- maybe not the best day for Agenda, but important to be able to see these players for who they are on days when they deserve credit.
2: Yeah, I think Chaka is, I, st- I still think he's the leader of the dressing room along with Louise. They really run the show. Um, I think he's a valuable player for the manager, a first time manager who needs to have, make sure his dressing rooms run with the right standards. To me, he's obviously his leader of the team. And basically, where he's improved on the pitch, I, th- I actually think, I never thought I'd say this, I think his feet are getting faster. I think he's preparing much more when the ball's arriving to him. So I sometimes think, he we played that blind? And I look again and he's had a good scan around. So he's focused as the ball's arriving. He does his preparation work. And the real indicator is he does that little dive on the ball, much less. When he hasn't seen the next pass, he loses his picture. He just dives on the ball and lands his stomach on it. But when you start doing that a lot, you, they basically mean you've got yourself in a bit of a tease, right? You don't know what to do next. So he was trying to buy a free kick. He's doing that less because the ball's flowing through him more. He's going forward more. He's setting an example. He's rollicking on any when he goes back too much. Yeah, I, I just think he's playing much, much better. And I didn't think he would speed up his agility because we all thought he's got diving boots on. But yeah, he's looking good. And he really gets us going down that left side. And the players trust him. They want that ball. They all know he's going to do it. He lets the ball run across him and he just fires it in. It's like clockwork. But that's exactly what you need in a team. Clockwork. More of it. Less uncertainty. More certainty. And um, fair play to him. He is clearly our best set of midfielder this season. The best set midfielder has been injured a lot. But I do agree with your point, Elliot. I'd like to see three really good ones and a couple of young ones. Mm-hmm. I can't see him in a rotation role. I just can't. I, I think he needs he's fully invested. I just can't see him. Rest in him. Can you? I just can't see it. And it's gonna be a challenge going forward.
1: Yeah. And and I mean it's it is the the classic point that you can say that Shaka is not good enough and we need to do better. But if you look at our squad right now and I said do you pick a central midfield, how are you picking one that doesn't have Granite Shaq in it? You know, I mean, it, and it, it is, it is what it is. I mean, so we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. I mean, I'd be curious if Arteta would try to do Party and Ceballos together. Um, not a great time to be mentioning Ceballos's name after what he did against Olympiacos on Thursday, but we'll see. We'll see how it plays out. Look, uh, I've got a, a little chat, a 20 minute chat with Dr. Raj coming up next about Smith Rose injury recovery from long-term injury, the effect of all these minutes building up and and why rotation is or isn't important and, and who it's more important for. So I hope you'll stick around for that. Uh, Clive's on Twitter at ClivePFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. Uh, Tim's on Twitter at Soberto. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure as always. Big week uh, for Patreon if you want to be on there, and we'd love to have you there. I realize, look, if it's not for you, don't do it. If you can't do it, if you don't want to do it, absolutely do not do it. In fact, it's the worst. Don't do it. But do it. But don't. But but do it if you can do it and want to do it, because we're going to have lots of good stuff there, and, and uh, it means the world to us to have you there, but it also means the world to us to have you here. So that's the message. I hope it was as clear as it felt as I was saying it. We'll take a break. We'll tell you about uh, some interesting stuff, and then we'll come back with Dr. Raj after this. Stay with us. Hey, everyone. Before we get started, I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level, or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with BlueWire's top podcasters, access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is, you can get all of this for only $15 a month. That's the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports podcasting experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com forward slash join, bwhustle.com forward slash join. Check out the description box for this episode to find out more, but that's bwhustle.com slash join. And now I am delighted to introduce Dr. Rajpal Brar. Uh, You can find him on Twitter at the number three CB performance. Three CB performance, as in three center backs performance, as in the system we never want to see coming back at Arsenal. It is my absolute pleasure uh, to talk to Dr. Raj because his information is my absolute go-to when I am hyperventilating about an Arsenal player leaving the pitch with a bit of a limp, uh, and smith Rose case, maybe a little more than that the other day. So, Dr. Raj, a pleasure to meet you.
4: Hey, thanks for having me on. I'm a big fan of your guys' work as well, so well, it's a mutual, it's a mutual feeling.
1: I could say that less um, years of education and hard work went into developing what we do than what you do, um, but I, I appreciate that. Before we get started, just real quick, is there anything you want to say sort of about your background in this or what, what started you and in being interested sp- uh, specifically in sports-related injuries? I know you're a Lakers fan. I won't hold it against you, but um, do you want to just give the listeners some sense of uh, why you do what you do?
4: Yeah, sure. So my my back my background, excuse me, credentials wise is I'm a DPT, which in the U.S. is considered it's a doctor of physical therapy, aka a physiotherapist. I work a lot in the sports and fitness world. Also, I have a background in, in sports science as well, and also some data research. But you know, I grew up playing sports my whole life. Whether that was football, aka soccer. Don't hate me for saying that. Um,
1: <laughs> it's okay, it's the same place. Uh, <laughs>
4: Uh, basketball. I mean, I grew up playing a bunch of sports, so my interest was always within the sports realm. And I think what I really like about sports or sports injuries is that it's really understanding not just the injury itself, but, uh, but the practical application on the field and what players are going through. And that's what I try to bring with some of my insight. I think anyone can tell you, hey, here's the injury. This is what it is. Here's return timeline. But the key thing is really, okay, how long does it take for that player to return to performance? What factors may you be looking for or not looking for? And something we've seen with Arsenal a lot this year are these muscular injuries. And so kind of navigating that that risk-reward tightrope, right, that gray area, and helping people understand some of the checks that these players are going through. It's not just the medical team throwing darts at a wall and hoping it sticks,
1: yeah, I mean, that that makes sense. And uh, look, I, I do want to say that I, before we get into this, some of the stuff we're going to talk talk about is speculation. I mean, it's, it's yep. educated speculation, but you're basing it off what you've seen on a TV screen, not um, specifically treating any of the players we're talking yep. about. But uh, obviously, you're bringing a great deal of uh, experience to this. And uh, you've really been very successfully sort of reporting on this stuff for a long time. So I feel really confident in the conclusions that you arrive at. And I I think, you know, for the purposes of the conclusions, we often arrive at this podcast. This is going to be the section that probably has the most weight of logic, reason and experience behind it. So uh, I think it's fair to say that you want to get you want to get started on on the actual stuff now.
4: Absolutely. Let's go.
1: Yeah. All right. So let's start with Smith Rowe. I mean, this is the the topic du jour, obviously, Um, Emile Smith Rowe comes off with what looks like, to my untrained eye, some kind of groin-related injury. Uh, I imagine I'm about to learn what an adductor is. I don't know what one is. I'm not even sure if I have one, but I will find out. And uh, a player that has had what we call soft tissue injury problems throughout his career. So what did you see from watching what uh, befell the poor young man? And and what's your thought on his timetable and, and maybe just the concern about recurring injury with him?
4: Yeah. I think that the question with, with ESR is, well, in, in this case, an adductor is it's a muscle on that runs basically from the groin area down to the inside of your knee. It's heavily involved in, in running, kicking. And so it's very, very, very common in footballers. I would say other than a hamstring or a calf injury, it's probably third most prevalent. And that's, I think that's backed up by the research also anecdotally by what I've seen. And in his case, I mean, He's a player who did come off a long-term injury, has been playing a lot of minutes, so he's at risk in that regard. There's always that inherent risk when you're increasing minutes heavily, you're increasing playing intensity. And I think that is part of why it took him so long to get back on the first team with with without being very conservative with him. And so speaking to his injury history, I know – He's dealt with some shin splints in the past. He dealt with that long-term shoulder injury. The shoulder issue doesn't really concern me that much. From my understanding, that's something where he took contact and it happened. But with these soft tissue injuries, it can just be concerning because you're looking at a young player who's dealing with these now, and you don't want him to enter that injury, re-injury cycle. But the key positive news is this is why you bring in a Martin Odegaard, right, to have that cover for him. To be able to replace him and not have to overuse him
1: well let, then let me ask you this um, as i professionally unmute myself um, when you look at a player like esr mm-hmm. who in my view seems to have what you know what the layperson would call injury problems or injury concerns and you look at players like granite shaka or pierre Emmerich bamiang very different types of players you know both of whom have been extremely durable throughout their career. Is this something that that uh, players outgrow as their body develops? Do you think that there may just be in terms of the musculature of a player, the anatomy, the physiology of a player? Some players are always going to be more prone to these kinds of things because I would imagine when you're building a squad, you know trying to to build a tactical philosophy around players who may regularly leave you looking for alternative solutions is not something you you necessarily want to be doing. I mean, I know it sounds so obvious, but like we all see Smith-Rowe's talent. We all see that how important the role of the number 10 has been and to your point, the importance of having Odegaard in the fold. But if Odegaard were to leave this summer and Smith-Rowe is going to be 21 years old and stepping into that age where he could take a real leadership position in the team in terms of that number 10 role, knowing whether he is going to have recurring injury problems would be an essential determining factor in how we want to build the squad. So... In your view, is there a way to know this? Is it guesswork? Is it something players outgrow? How do you, how do you approach a player who has these these kinds of injuries as a, a track record in the past?
4: Yeah. So, it, what I look at in general is okay, why is the injury happen, happening? Excuse me. So, injury proneness to me is thrown out a lot. That, to me, that doesn't mean you're just getting injured. If you take enough direct contact to a body part, it's going to be injured. Right. If you play enough minutes without resting or you have a significant increase in playing intensity, there is a higher risk for injury. And so in this specific case with ESR, I would with any young player who's been introduced to the first team for the first time, I'm honestly I'm expecting a soft tissue issue to crop up at some point, So with Smith Rowe, this was not a surprise to me, and it doesn't really concern me that much. It was my expectation based on the fact his minutes usage, based on the fact he jumped to the first team for for the first time in his career consistently. And so this to me is all part of that fitness process for a young player who's now acclimating to a certain stress level on his body.
1: Yeah, it's interesting, uh, Raj, because like I look at someone like Hector Bellerin, for example, um, you know, setting aside his form and how well he's playing, mm-hmm. played endless minutes at a very young age for Arsenal, then got a huge injury and pretty much since coming back from a huge injury has played without setback f- physically. I'm not I'm not talking about form. Mm-hmm. but So it, it is interesting how, you know, at some level, minutes notwithstanding, you know, players are human beings and human beings have different bodies that are going to react to the strain and, and, and the, the pressure and the repetitiveness of, of, and especially of this particular schedule that they're going through right now in different mm-hmm. ways, um, which sort of leads me then to Martinelli because we're not seeing a lot of him. Uh, well, actually, before we get move on from ESR, just real quick, do you want to give us a, a range of timetables for, how do you say it? Addictor? I always said a doctor. Yeah,
4: addictor. Ad, I mean, adductor is fine. Okay. I, I usually call it AD doctor, so it's not. Mm-hmm. It's not confused with the ab, doctor abductor is on the outside of your hip, adductors on the inside of the yeah. thigh. Yeah, so.
1: yeah, that's that's why I say it that way too. <laughs> yeah, bad. I'm sure. Um, so so yeah, is there a timetable that we can consider from sort of like the the least, um, the least bad to the the most concerning?
4: Yeah. So I mean, if it if it is an overt, let's say, grade one injury, the thing with adductors it depends on severity. It depends on location because it can be whether it's in the muscle, whether it's you know near the end of the muscle that can also create variance. But to generally, again, very generally, a grade one, you're typically looking at seven to ten days-ish. A grade two is typically two to three weeks. A grade three is going to be longer than that, but there's no chance of that in this case, in my opinion. Is, is so, that the
1: kind of thing where you would have been stretched off kind of thing? You wouldn't be? Just yeah, kind
4: of- with a grade three, you're severe level of pain, you're, the, the muscles ripping off the bone in a grade three, essentially.
1: It's funny. I, I said this on on Twitter, and it's so true. The the one thing that's hard for me with analyzing player injuries is they routinely deal with things stoically that would have me hysterically yeah. crying and pounding the ground. Like <laughs> I think it was um was it Harvey Barnes probably did his ACL or something right like that right? And the people that I know who have done it have said like, oh, it's excruciating pain, and he's just there like, oh darn, this stinks. <laughs> you know?
4: well, he actually got lucky. He didn't he didn't do any ligaments for my understanding. Oh, okay. he, ch- oh. he chipped a bone. He chipped a bone. Still out. Still out. Yeah, I actually, just, if anyone, I know it's, it's an Arsenal pot. I actually put a video up on that. It's an interesting, not interesting injury, It's the wrong word, but it's uh, an injury I wasn't expecting when I heard about it. Mm.
1: Well, that's uh, one to look for for Clive, who is Harvey Barnes' uh, biggest fan, super fan. So, all right, all right now let's go. talk Martinelli. Martinelli, a, a player who I think we have a lot of high hopes for. There's a little debate about whether he should be used more, whether Arteta has been reluctant to use him. Uh, Obviously, we've seen Willian play ahead of him and thankfully against Leicester quite effectively. But do you have any insight into what the path back from a meniscus injury like his would be and whether that path may be influencing decisions? I mean, it's hard to say because he started against United. He came right in against Chelsea to start this sort of reversion of our form, but um, reverse in form. But this is a, a major injury. And, you know, I'm guessing that there is some guidance that he's getting on how to bring him back in
4: yeah so i mean whether it's where we're, we're still unsure whether it was meniscus might have been we call like articular cartilage which is the the tissue on the ends of the long bones in this case like your femur your thigh bone or most commonly your fever but regardless long-term injury he actually comes back about a month early to training than what what initially was thought the team had said late december he comes back early december So he's had a schedule he comes back he only plays 45 minutes with the under 23s. And then right away he's off with the first team and then he's playing successive games pretty quickly. Right. And so when I saw that it was almost, it raised my eyebrow because that's not how I that has brought players, young players coming off injury along ESR being case in point. So when people wonder why is ESR not playing? Why is he not playing? Right. Because there was that conservative approach, but with Martinelli, we saw the opposite and he came back really quickly and so of course that's an attack to your body. But then he, he picks up that that ankle injury during a warm-up, which is a low to moderate session intensity right away for me. That tells me if you're picking up a non-contact injury, that can speak to having some other systemic deficits. Specifically, there's a system called your neuromuscular system, which is like how your body, how your body and brain are aware of where your joints are in space. And so ankle sprains are often related to that. And so that for me might've been something where i that done the training staff are like, okay, maybe we, you know, we put him through a little too much too early on. And I think it's a fair point to say they might've brought him on qu- quicker because the team needed that spark during that downturn in form. I think now they're course correcting in, in that regard. So, mm. you know, from, from what I see, it, it's a course correction that, is now going back to the way that he's treated young players coming off injury in the past.
1: Yeah, that's really interesting because, I mean, it is is—it is one of those data points that we don't have available to us that would certainly change, or you'd think would change, some of the breathlessness with which we discuss his path to playing time and the extent to which mm-hmm. he's being used. I mean, look, he wasn't brought off at halftime of the United game because they were managing his minutes he was brought off as Correct. Mikel arteta overtly discussed because he wasn't really doing the things he wanted him to do and he hasn't really featured since then so it's easy to draw conclusions but i i think it is to be considered as well that that there's a strain to being back playing like this in a very um hectic time and, the, and they don't want to expose him to that risk especially given that the squad's going to shake out a little in the summer and I think the path for him will be a lot clearer going into next season than it is now, which sort of leads me to just ask quickly in general, when recovering from these long-term injuries um, and not all injuries are the same, but whether they're Mm -hmm. meniscus or ACL or, you know, the the kinds of injuries, broken bones that keep you out of season, for example, um, what's your feeling in terms of what's right to expect for a player to come back to form. And is that changed by age? Because, you know, as I said, with Hector, for example, he came right back and started playing nonstop and has basically not stopped. His durability is impressive, his form less so. Um, Rob Holding came back, also has been pretty regularly available. I thought he was basically dreadful when he first came back and has yeah. stabilized and I think reached a level that's more consistent with his talent subsequently. So is do you think the form thing is purely just a, a player quality issue or do you think that it, it can be tied to the way the body recovers, like with Hector, I think a lot of people are saying he's lost a step. And you know it was sort of my understanding that with ACL recovery, for example, these days, that that's less likely to happen. But what the hell do I know? So, I mean, is is, is that an injury where there, there can be sort of permanent long-term deterioration in, in what they're able to do? And might we be seeing that with someone like Hector Bellarin?
4: Yeah, I mean, it is less likely to happen, but that doesn't mean that it's not precluded from everyone. And so especially, I think, in a, for a player who relies heavily or used to rely heavily on pace, you kind of see that a little bit more or you might, might be inclined to look for that a little bit more. So it's certainly possible. And then the one thing about ACL as well that we might not consider is that there's, this, I, there's more research showing that this idea of kinesiophobia or fear of movement or fear of re-injury that might be kind of holding you back a little bit about, you know, do I go at full speed? Do I go in for this challenge at 50, 50 because you still have that subconscious kind of fear. And I think Bellerin, if you followed his blog at all about his ACL, he dealt with a lot of those issues going through Mm. his injury. He was very open with that vulnerability. So whether that's there or not right now, of course, I can't speak on that, but you know, there's certainly, the research we sh- we've seen is that it didn't take over two years to get back to pre-injury levels. I think a great counterpoint to that is holding who hasn't, who honestly looks like he got faster a little bit. If you mm-hmm. see him the way he, he kept pace with Zaha, he kept pace. I didn't believe with uh, Sterling kept pace with Mane for a little bit. Right. So he's actually been able to come back and he actually went through also, he went through a hamstring injury and came back quicker Than the timeline. And he's had no setbacks based on that, right? So those two guys can show a significant variance on return to performance. And to to your, your first question about what factors can influence returning from injury, you know, age is certainly one because the more wear you have on your body, it can lead to then downstream effects. And also, secondly, we know there's, for example, there's a data showing that. When it comes to injuries in and of itself, for example, hamstring injuries, every year you play football professionally, there's a 30% chance for hamstring injuries. So let's say you're coming back. Let's say you're coming back from an ACL, right? And then, and you're older. Now you have compensation issues along your entire body. You have inherently increased risk for hamstring injuries because of your age, because that wear and tear. What if you pick up another muscular injury? Let's say you tear your hamstring, right? That now sets you back in your rehab and it sets you back in terms of just regaining on pitch fitness levels. And it becomes that cycle of injury, re-injury losing fitness, which as an aside, we've seen a little bit from Partey this year with those multiple injuries in succession.
1: Huh? Yeah, that's really interesting. Well, look, I'm running out of time with you and I want to get to my most important question. So uh, this will be an interesting uh, linguistic challenge for you, but um <laughs> This is a season unlike many others in terms of fixture congestion and the fatigue that these players are experiencing. Mikel Arteta talked mm-hmm. about it just uh, just yesterday about all the managers knowing it, all of them being concerned about it, what the players are being put through and the challenge of it. He talked about Saka being fatigued. I'm
5: mm-hmm. curious
1: what your feeling is that what is the, what is the increase in injury risk with fixture congestion, but maybe not just injury risk, but form deterioration and how that's impacted by age. Because two players I think we worry about in terms of how their minutes are managed are Saka and Aubameyang at opposite Mm -hmm. ends of the age spectrum. Now, what I know just from aging is recovery time lengthens. I cannot produce a peak performance workout right after I've just done one like I could when I was a little bit younger. So I would imagine Mm -hmm. that recovery time would be a consideration as age increases, but what about injury concerns in terms of minute load, are, are senior players more able to deal with it than younger
4: players or vice versa? And this one's interesting because it really it really depends. So let's say in the case of Obama Yang, I don't honestly worry that much because from what I understand about him, he's very, he's, he's extremely committed to his fitness levels, and so he's prepared his body to be able to handle these demands. And so that risk to me is a little less concerning than a younger player who's coming into all these minutes whose body may not be physically ready for it yet. And so that's why you see some guys when they get into their mid-20s or mid to later 20s, like Xhaka, who are now able to handle these fitness levels, the crazy fitness levels, because they've been building to that point. They've been training to that point for the last four, five, six years to now to be at peak fitness. And I think Obamian and I know people are going to – well, it's probably good time to say it because he had a great game. But William also has great training habits as well from my understanding. And that's part of the reason Obamian and Willian are key figures there because the young guys see – they see how committed they are to their game and why they've been able to sustain that longevity. It's because that commitment to fitness – off the pitch, on and off the pitch.
1: You know what? I, I think it, it's a great point. And like an, an example that I think everyone listening can, can understand, when I was 21 years old, if I had a glass of bourbon, I was on my ass, but now after years of training my body through effective hard work and a strict regimen, now a couple glasses of bourbon are just an aperitif for me to start my evening of drinking. So there you go. Um, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it is about preparing your body and your body being able to manage that load. But but in terms, and, and I'll let you go because I know you're out of time here, but super quick, in terms of peak yeah. performance though, can an 18-year-old or 19-year-old play at peak performance on a Sunday? peak performance on a Thursday and peak performance on a Sunday again, where a 31-year-old, while they may not have the injury risk, may not be able to achieve their peak output when playing in in that time frame because their body's recovery time for peak output maybe hasn't cycled.
4: Yeah, I, I I would lean toward yes in terms of the younger player being able to recover a bit quicker in that regard the good thing the the good thing now when it comes to these things is we're not we're still guessing a little bit because the data I mean the data is data but it doesn't tell you all the indicators is that we have better indicators with the data whether it comes to the phys- the metrics of physiology whether it comes to some of the hands-on assessments that you're seeing but in general yeah the younger you are you will recover better but you can kind of tease that out player to player based on the metrics and assessments that you're seeing
1: Interesting. Okay, you got to run or you want to handle one more super quick one? Or you got to run? Let's do one more. All right, super quick. Thomas Party. Do you have an explanation for a player who has like an Ironman track record at one club, shows up in another yeah. club, and goes through what he's going through with us? Because I think, unfortunately, the tendency in the extremely online community is our doctors are quacks. <laughs> you know? <laughs> our physios don't know what they're doing which obviously is not the case we have a phenomenal high performance team at arsenal so like do you, do you have a theory on why that can happen when changing clubs
4: yeah there's i mean uh i put out a video on this as well so essentially he had a Super. short we should we
1: should shorten <laughs>
4: short, i will uh short, i'll send you all this stuff Thank shortened you. off shortened, shortened off season and then he then he's changing clubs off season, he changes leads, right? And there's an increase in intensity. Everyone, I don't mean to be like, you know, EPL centric, but every player manager says when you go to the EPL, there's a change in intensity, change in physicality. And so that's, that's two, that's two issues right there. Thirdly, I thought I touched on this is that he was saying that Partey was almost trying to like impress and show that he was worth that transfer value, right? So maybe he's going, he's trying to overdo it a little bit in that regard, trying to, you know, trying to impress the club, his teammates, and show that he's that guy. And then, so he picks up, based on all those issues, and then you add in schedule congestion that we've had, unprecedented. He picks up one injury, and then he comes back for that Tottenham game. And from my understanding, he was on a minutes restriction that game, but he had three full stress test. To be cleared. I've heard a lot of people saying he was rushed back, rushed back, rushed back, but he went through all the medical checks and, mm. and he passed them. But unfortunately, the outcome is never hundred percent in medicine. Right. All you can do is look at the process. The process was good. He picks up another injury and now it's not only the injuries. Now he's losing fitness because you can't train at the same level when you're injured. Right. And so your fitness level gets hit and that adds another risk issue as you're coming back to games and so i started to see these little muscle injury re-injury cycles you can get out of them but in the short term especially during this season especially during this season where it's so congested it can be difficult
1: yeah interesting you know i think you hit on something there too we just wanting to impress to to sort of justify your your price tag that party by wanting to impress the fans and impress the club so much may have Overextend himself and injured himself where someone like Granit Xhaka can play all the time because he's not trying to impress anybody with his performances. So there you go. I'm kidding. It's a joke. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm tapping out. I'm going to let you go. If you ran Arsenal, you run Arsenal, you're the lead, lead doctor physio at Arsenal, would you force Aubameyang to stop doing the front flips after his goals?
4: I'd have to do a biomechanics full analysis and see how he's loading his body. The
1: perfect doctor answer. There you go. That's Dr. Raj. You definitely want to perform, uh, perform. No, you don't want to perform surgery on him. You want to follow him on Twitter, uh, at three CB performance, three CB, like three center back performance, um, except without three center backs. Cause we hate that system. It's never coming back. Dr. Raj, absolute pleasure. Thanks for letting me keep you over a couple of minutes. And I hope to do this again in the future.
4: No Cheers, man. Appreciate it.
1: Yeah, my name is Alex Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Uh, we'll have lots of content for you over on the Patreon side all week, and then a regular pod uh, for absolutely $0.0, 0 cents, uh, available on Thursday. So, plenty more to come. We love you, and we will talk to you after Arsenal 10. Burnley, no.